My main concern tonight, uh, today, with uh, September 23rd, 2015, is do you have a sustaining faith? That's the most important issue. There's a lot of things supposedly coming down. Now, I've got to tell you that in the last 20 years of dealing with all things outside of the box, X-Files, UFO, alien, whatever, um, I have been invited, maybe the first few years of my ministry, to conventions to speak. Usually I speak the one time and they don't want me back. Why? Because I refuse to tone things down. I'm going to these conventions and they want everything to, well, don't mention that you had a vision. Don't talk about dreams. I mean, you know, red flags go up and, you know, they're just not going to understand. Well, if I don't mention how I come to know what I know, I'm robbing God of his glory. I'm not going to apologize for having the prophetic gift. It comes with the territory of what I deal with. And so many times on radio, and uh, especially coast to coast, if some of you know that one, um, even some of the Christian shows, they want me to tone it down. Don't mention that part. Well, I'm sorry, but I didn't come to understand the things that I know by my own intellect. I came to know it from fasting and praying, from dreams, from situations that I did not plan. And some of them were upsetting, and I had to process this through. Um, this is where Pastor Tim was going to help me stay focused on 101 and not get into, I mean, anybody that knows me knows I can go from zero to Jesus to 501 advanced courses on all kinds of stuff, because this has been my reality for the last 20 years. And so I'm out of touch with people that have never been presented with this stuff. And so sometimes I mention it and people go, whoa, wait a minute, what? So we're getting 101 tonight, folks. It's just going to be some basic stuff, but it's going to be about the prophetic. I'm not a skeptic. I think it's vitally important. One of the most important gifts of the Spirit is prophecy. And we need it, and we especially need it now. But we have to have it tempered. It has to be focused in the right way. And as Christians discerning, we need to know how to sift through the many things that are going on. So here's sometimes in our own minds and our own desires, we want to see this all end. We want to see Satan quit hiding behind the rocks. Come out, let's duke it out and get it over with. We need Jesus, this world's crazy, and it's going crazy, and it's driving me crazy. So I think in our ambition, in our desire to see things happen, sometimes we jump ahead and we start playing games. I've noticed that back in the 70s, when I first became a Christian, everybody was hyped up on prophecy. And we actually had prophecy freaks and prophecy groupies and people that would follow certain teachings and teachers. That can be a danger, and that's where we end up playing games like the wheel of misfortune. We want to find out what's the next greatest catastrophe about to befall mankind. Then we start trying to name that doom. Which one is going to hit, happen first? What we, the worst of all is the dating game. Now I'm going to turn around because I can't read. I don't have my glasses and I forgot to bring them today. In 1998 there was a planetary lineup. Anybody remember that one? That was supposed to put us in the middle of the tribulation. Didn't happen. In 2000, Y2K, Remember that one? Now, I had a 55-gallon drum ready to fill up with water in case Japan crashed and started going berserk because it was supposed to happen there first. And we'd be, uh, have a little head-up head up warning. Nothing happened, didn't have to fill it. Okay, in 2011, how many knew that Comet Elanon was going to wipe everything out? Most of you never heard of it, right? Yep, same as the morning class, right? Well, that was a big thing going around. See, in, in the area that I work with, this is kind of like, I know it as soon as it hits the press or whatever, whoever speaks. 
I get all kinds of newsletters and different things from a lot of ministries that are, you know, kind of just sharing the information. Um, fortunately for that one, you guys didn't hear it, so you didn't have to worry about it. Uh, then I think all of us know Harry, the camping, uh, Harold Camping, the prediction that, you know, the rapture was going to happen in uh, uh, 2011. That didn't happen. 2012. Probably all of you know about the Mayan calendar, the end of the world. Even in my book, I mentioned it wasn't the end of the world. It's a lineup. It's going to have effects maybe four or five years down the road, but let's not all, you know, bury ourselves yet. Um, that didn't happen. Then the latest, greatest was Comet Ison. We had Comet Elanon, then we got Comet Ison. Nothing happened in 2013. We didn't get wiped out. Um, I've asked some of the Comet prophets, you know, online that are saying this stuff that, can we all agree, we know Wormwood is going to happen someday. There's nothing anyone can do about it. It's going to happen. It's biblical. It's scriptural. But for the next comet that you say is coming down, can we, since you guys keep wanting more comets, can we call the next one Comet Moron? Just thinking, you know. So what this ends up producing is Chicken Little. We, and I think this is part of Satan's plan. He keeps getting so many of us going on bunny trails that go nowhere. And all these things seem to connect, and they seem to make sense. And boy, we're all getting, oh, this is it, this is it. But you know, how many here today, and I've had after first service when I gave this sermon, I had some people, you know, as soon as you said that, my eyes rolled, and they go, oh, no, not another one of these. This is what Satan wants us all to be at. Now, I'm going to tell you, even though all these things in the past haven't happened, I am still keeping my eyes on everything, forgetting what's in the past, I'm not going to let it beat me up. I'm not going to let me feel like I've been discouraged or lied to or anything. There's a lot of reasons why these things happen. We're going to cover some of it tonight. But the thing is that we've got to keep watching. We've got to keep on guard. And we've got to keep thinking and hoping that maybe this is the time. There's not a lot we can do about it. God's already probably told us what to do and how to do it. So we don't want to fall into the chicken little. So what is supposed to be happening on the 23rd of 2015? Hold on to your seats. You people that don't even know anything about 2013, man, this is, this is like the ultimate um, apocalyptic uh, fortune of, wheel of fortune. Let me tell you, let's, let's go into some of the things that are supposed to happen. 2015, because of the year of Jubilees, many have interpreted, and some of these are very creditable people, that the dollar is going to collapse on that day. Now, probably one of the most... Accurate prophets of the 20th century was, um, now I'm going to have a senior citizen moment. David Wilkerson. Thank you, Lord. David Wilkerson. Now, I don't agree a lot with David Wilkerson's theology, but he was probably one of the most accurate prophets in our day. And he prophesied, he said he saw the time when the dollar was going to crash. It would start with Greece, and it would go to Europe, and then it would go to South America. And then the day that Mexico crashed, the very next day we'd have a bank holiday in America. He said, everybody store up at least two months worth of food. And I said, okay, Lord, well, you know, right now financially, there's no way I can afford that. So, you know, if you really want me to have it, you're going to have to do something. I get an email from a, uh, a corporation guy, pretty well-to-do. He says, Jim, the Lord wanted me to make sure that you survived the hard-coming times that are coming. So I'm sending you some FedEx uh, emergency rations. And it's going to come on a certain day. So I'm waiting. I'm figuring, you know, knock on a door, a little package. That's cool. Um, I hear the air brakes of a semi-truck. I live in a mobile home park, okay? So what's a semi-truck doing in a mobile home park? I go, what? And I stick my head out the door and I go, is that for me? 
He says, uh, 45788 Santafer? Yeah. How many? What have you got? 36 six gallons of uh, uh, emergency food rations. 36 gallons? This fills up half of my driveway. <laughs> Who am I going to do with this? I told my wife, I said, you know what? Remember what Dave Wilkerson said? Let's add up everybody in the family. And my, your family, my family, and divide that by two months' worth. And you know what? It came out exactly enough for my whole family. Now, some of my family didn't want it. They, oh, that's weird stuff. I don't want anything to do with it. So we passed it on to some friends. But it was enough for everybody. Now, that was preparation, not out of fear, not out of anxiety. I just simply said, Lord, if I need it, can you provide it? Because I can't. And it was there. And I think that same provision can be for all of us here. So we don't do anything out of fear, out of anxiety. We do it in prayer and let the Lord lead. He's not going to have us all stressed out trying to hurry up and, and survive all these things. So the first one was the economic collapse. The second one is, hey, don't do that. I only did one time. Come on now. Must have a rapid fire button on there or something. I don't know. Jade Helm. How many people have heard of Jade Helm? Uh, yeah, quite a few of you. Jade Helm is a name for uh, Homeland Security uh, military readiness for martial law. Uh, it happened last month. Troops were deployed all over major cities in the area. And unlike other trainings, so were the military equipment and all the ammo and everything else needed. How many remember about a month ago you saw a lot of black Chinook helicopters going into the, yeah, okay, some of you were watching the skies. You're probably the same ones that see the chemtrails around and know that it's not um, just smoke from jets. Um, yeah, something, something was coming down, and they're deployed. Well, guess what the final day is? September 23rd, 2015. Many people think that this deployment was not for testing or going through a, a, a trial. It was implementing everything in plain sight, getting ready for what they already assume or know might be happening. We'll have to see, and we'll have to have, have, to have a conversation September 24th or 5th to find out what really did happen. The next thing is that Obama and the Pope are to meet on the 23rd of September, and many people are thinking they're going to make some major announcement. Uh, one of them, and they got this from a movie pilot film, Roswell, which was kind of a teenage uh, soap opera with an alien uh, background to it, mentions September 23rd. So from that, no scriptural foundation, but from that they conclude that Obama and the Pope are going to announce that aliens have been in contact with them, and they're coming soon to help us out with our troubles down here on Earth. Uh, we'll talk about it in 24th and see what happened there. Now, the next one is a pandemic. Many people have seen dreams or visions of a pandemic, and somehow they've assigned it to September 23rd, where a pandemic is going to break out. Another one is that an asteroid would hit Costa Rica. Um, I think in an upcoming thing, um, there was even a, a prophecy made with calculations that Isaac Newton actually made, and other people have interpreted that it means October 23rd. So, we'll see. Earthquakes. Many people have seen visions of earthquakes, and now they're assigning somehow that the date, uh, September 23rd, that there's going to be major earthquakes. We know the Madrid fault is ready to pop. We know that San Andreas fault is ready to, to go. Uh, also, people have seen Yellowstone National Park, the volcano, super volcano, will erupt on September 23rd. The other thing is there's going to be a solar flare, and we know that the sun is in a highly sensitive solar flare situation every, every 11 years this happens. So there's supposed to be a solar flare which emits 
a huge intensive electromagnetic pulse which knocks out all the globe's uh, electronics and, and causes panic uh, worldwide. Um, or if you'd prefer to have the electronic pulse put by man, there's also some that say that Putin sees the vulnerability of the United States, puts an EMP out, and invades uh, within hours of, of the EMP pulse, which would knock out all of the electronics. Um, there's also supposed to be a polar axis shift that will happen. Now, we've already had magnetic shifts several times. They've even had to readjust airports with incoming flights because things have gone off so out of kilter from what it normally is. But it's also had a physical tilt. In 2011, we had a physical axis tilt, a minor one, but it's still a real one. The Bible mentions in Isaiah 24th chapter that the earth would reel to and fro. It describes this before the flood, and now it's describing it at the end times that the same thing would happen again, just as what happened before, Jesus said, would happen in the last days before the flood. So we know a polar axis shift will happen, did happen, and is expected to happen again. Will it be on the 23rd? I don't know. Um, we already had that one. So Now, there are some signs, biblical signs. There's the four blood moons, the harbinger by uh, Jonathan Kahn, uh, the idea that it is a year of Jubilees this year, and it is also September the uh, festival of trumpets uh, and the harvest. So all these in conjunction are telling us that something could be expected in that particular month in that particular time. Some make it a broader span going from September to October, but all of it basically in that confines. Most of it focused on the 23rd. There is, I mean, this is crazy stuff here. There's movies, uh, The Simpsons, the uh, movie The Fringe, uh, several movies all mention 923. It's a consistent pattern. Of course, people say, well, that's the Illuminati. See, they're, they're sneaking in their thing. It is true that the occult mind believes it has to verbally speak things out before they can actually make them happen. Uh, and they do it sometimes hidden in plain sight, sometimes um, encrypted. Um, there's an element of truth to that, but I don't get all freaked out by it because I cheated and read the back of the book in the Bible. We win. They only think they're winning. The Illuminati, don't give these guys the credit that too many people are starting to give them. Yeah, there is a global conspiracy. Revelation 17, 10, uh, 13 says that there are 10 people that have received no power as of yet, but have power as kings and, make, uh, and give their uh, minds pretty much to the, the beast because they have one mind and one goal. So that's a conspiracy. I get it. That's true. It's going to happen. It's all part of God's plan. It doesn't matter. They lose. We win. So I'm not going to get freaked out about symbols. You know, my Bible says that we will know them, sheep from wolves, by their fruit, not by the signs, gestures that they make, not by the colors they wear, not by the symbols that they have. That's foolishness. Don't give the enemy the power over symbols. Satan has a counterpart for, for everything we hold dear, including the cross. He has a counterpart for that because he wants us to go, oh, no, we can't, we, we can't do that. We've got to change. He wants us to change. He wants us to hide our identity of who we are. Don't give him that power. Jesus came and told us the intent of heart. That rules over this letter of the law stuff. Intent of heart. So don't get on, down on somebody if, they, if you see a symbol that looks like an Illuminati symbol. It probably has a Christian counterpart to it. You might want to ask them that, but you're still not going to know other than by their fruit. So anyways, CERN. This is the one I've got to make sure I don't get too carried away with because this is one I've studied recently and there's a whole lot here that's connected, and it's weird. CERN, how many people don't know what's, I mean, how many people know what CERN is? Okay, well, pretty good amount of you. CERN is a, a, 
It's a particle collider. We were originally told that they were trying to accumulate dark matter to punch a hole through space-time fabric. So the research was either going to parallel dimensions or time travel. Well, some people did the math and realized, you know what, civilization isn't going to be long, long enough to be able to accumulate enough dark matter to ever do anything with it. So then they shifted gears and said, oh, okay, well, we're actually trying to punch a hole into an alternate dimension, and we think we can do it. Well, you know what, some of the research I did is that when there's an axis tilt, they're going to do it because they're opening up the key to the bottomless pit. Now, I'm not saying absolutely thus say the Lord, but I think there's every indication spiritually, scripturally, that this could be very well what the Revelation's ninth chapter says when the key to the bottomless pit is given to an angel and it opens up the bottomless pit and then the locust evasion comes out. I think that's all connected. We'll have to wait to see to find out. Now, CERN, another, some interesting facts about CERN. The symbol CERN, with this little sign right there, that's actually three sixes. We all know what that means. Now, what got my attention to start studying CERN was when India gave a bronze statue in CERN, Switzerland. Oh, uh, yeah, CERN, Switzerland. This is where the collider's located. In the time of ancient Rome, the very location where their, their facility is used to be where the Temple of Apollyon stood. Revelation 9th chapter, the leader of the locust invasion that comes out of the bottomless pit is Apollyon. I don't think these are coincidences. But now, India gave this statue of Shiva. Shiva's doing a dance called the destruction of particles. She is the destroyer of worlds. Oppenheimer said, I have become death. I have become uh, Shiva or something like that, um, the destroyer of worlds. He was referring to this Indian uh, god. Now, this false pagan god, its whole purpose is to destroy worlds to create new worlds. So they're giving this statue saying, what you guys are doing is so related to our god Shiva that we want to give you this to represent your efforts and what you're doing. So there's a lot of weird stuff going on, folks. It really is. Now, the one of the final things is that some people have gone down the Herald Camping School and now said that uh, September 23rd is the day of the rapture. So, okay, well, let's talk about it September 24th and see what kind of conversation we'll have. Now, here's the thing, and I don't, want to be, I don't want to play the total role of skeptic, being a skeptic. We have heard so many false flags in the past that some people are just going, okay, yeah, not listening. Could this actually be? Could we have a combined com combination of disasters? Think about this. Now, I personally think that America is Babylon, and I think we're going to be judged. And it says in Jeremiah that we'll get one-year warning and one-hour destruction. Now consider this, if a comet was to hit the Earth, it could tilt its axis, CERN fires up, it causes a tsunami, it floods out the east uh, coast, it causes the earthquakes, it causes the volcanic activity. Obama and, and the, the Pope are conveniently there to make some kind of an announcement that's probably going to steer to a one-world government or something. Um, all these things could be like dominoes and hit all at one time. Now that sounds pretty crazy and pretty miraculous, but my God was the same God that made a donkey talk to a prophet. He enabled eight people in a boat to survive when the whole world was destroyed. I think he can make all these things happen in one day. I think we should keep an open mind and an open heart to consider that. But at the same time, what if nothing happens? Where is your faith going to be? If your faith is in assumed events, you're going to be disappointed, you're going to be despondent, you're going to be depressed, you're going to be felt like you've been lied to, and 
even further where you're not going to hear anything about prophecy. Now, everybody here, I'm preaching to the choir on this one, you know that there are many churches in this city that say they are born-again Christians, spirit-filled. They will not allow prophecy or prophetic utterance in their churches. And they say they're full of spirit. Spirit of what? Denial? We can't, we can't forsake prophecy. It's a vital, important part of the church. But what happens if nothing happens? Everyone here, it shouldn't skip a beat in your faith. It really shouldn't. Because your faith has to be focused on Jesus Christ and your relationship with him and not on events, whether they happen or don't happen. He's still the same God that is in same rule. I'm going to show you now a Twilight Zone scripture that shows you just how reliable this book really is. We have to stay the course. I forgot, I forgot that the last time, too, darn it. I wonder why I did that. I like that one, though. I mean, God is able to see us through everything. His will is not going to take us where his grace can't keep us. That's something we have to really understand and know. But we need a starting point. If we are going to go somewhere, we need to first know where we are in order to go there. Now, just like in a mall, when you're in a mall, like the little map I had. Now, here's my Twilight Zone scripture. It says, that which has been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. I like it in the King James better. I'm not sure which translation that is, but uh, it says, and God requires an account of that which is past. Well, the implication from that scripture is that everything that is, everything that will be, is already done. God lives outside of time. We're bound by time because that's part of the fall. We were created to be eternal and to live in an eternal place with God. We're not there now because we're somewhere else where we're not supposed to be. But yet we've got to be here. So God isn't up in heaven going, I'm God and I kind of know what I'm going to do and so Satan's there and you know, throwing curves. No. From the foundation of the earth, before the foundation of the earth, the Lamb of God was slain. God had this all figured out long before anything. And now... He's given us this book. This isn't a book of speculating or knowing what might be or what is going to be. It's already happened. This is a history book. God doesn't have foreknowledge. He's got post-knowledge. He already knows what's going to happen. This is 100%. We can be totally assured that everything in here is just as God saw it happen. But here's our concept of time, and this is where we have to get adjusted. When we're on earth, imagine standing on a corner watching a parade go by. You know, the idea is that you remember what already passed, you see what's going on now, and you have an anticipation of what might be coming later. But God in heaven is like being in a helicopter up above the parade. He sees the beginning from the end and everything else in between, and he can place himself down wherever he needs to be when he wants to be, because he's outside of time. Time doesn't exist where he is at. It's already over. So the war in heaven, if you could imagine, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around. It's check, checkmate, it's all done. But now on earth, we have to play out our part. It's like this. Oh, okay, I jumped ahead. Jesus confirmed this idea. He said uh, that my kingdom is not of this world. Now, dealing with the UFO alien stuff, the people always jump on this. See, he, he told everybody right there he's an alien. He, didn't, he isn't from this world. Go back to the Greek on that, will you? The Greek says cosmos. It's the orderly arrangement of this entire material universe. Jesus is saying, I'm not of this dimension. It's a different dimension, not the one that he came to, but he said, if my kingdom were of this world, 
Then would my servants come and deliver me. But for this cause came I into the world, that the Son of Man would be put to death. Why? Because he's going to be the bridge to bring us back to where we actually belong. We're stuck in this weird, bizarro, parallel universe. And that's exactly what it is. Now, here's what we can imagine. Each one of us has our ripple in time that we have to play out. Why did that happen? Because if you imagine, you ever seen a, a pool of water that's totally still? It's like a mirror. It reflects everything around in perfect harmony. But then imagine somebody comes and throws a rock in the middle of that pond. And that's what Satan did at the fall. Now, because every action has a reaction, God has to let the action of that rock play out every little ripple until the last ripple is played out. Why? Because he's long-suffering towards us, as Peter says, that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the way the game is played. That's the way God made the rules. He's long-suffering. He's going to wait until every ripple goes out because he doesn't want to lose anybody. So he's playing it all out till the end. But you better believe when that last ripple comes down, Satan has a plan, believe it or not. Some people think Satan was cast down as a disgruntled enemy, and now I just, you know, I'm misery and I love company, so I'm going to grab as many people to go down with me. No, he's deluded. He's crazy. He thinks he has a plan to outbeat God in his own game by doing everything the same but opposite. And that's his plan. That's why he's the great imitator. That's why he imitates everything. He doesn't necessarily confront uh, and deny things. He makes provisions for parallels. He gives you alternatives. Because he's deluded thinking he's going to beat God in his own game. And he's not going to. 6,000 some years of working on his mystery of iniquity. And I read in my Bible at the end of the book that after 6,000 years he thinks he has this invincible army that's marching into Armageddon and he's going to take over everything. And the Lord comes back and says, there's a sword that comes out of his mouth. I hope you all realize it's not really spitting swords out, but it's the word of God. He's saying something. In the scriptures in the past, what was the most powerful thing he, that Jesus ever said that made people fall back? Thank you. Bingo, you win. Yes, I am. And I am sure that over Armageddon, when he comes back, 6,000 years of Satan's best effort, he says, I am. Boom, game up, done. Totally destroyed. That's the power God has. That's the confidence that we have to have. So good old Morpheus here, he's just kind of reminding us that we are in a matrix. That's why even Gematra has a significant importance. There's, everything's connected to mathematics and numbers. Because what we live in is an artificial, unreal world. It's compared to as a mist. It's compared to as a vapor. It's going to be something transitional. It's bent on destruction. And it's going to burn up. And yet at the same time, God talks about a world that is forever. That will never be destroyed. That's where we belong. That's in heaven. We don't belong here. I hope you can really grasp this because in this, it should motivate you to realize that why are you storing up treasures here? Why are you believing the lies that exist here? This is temporary, man. Be greedy for God because what you do here is what you're going to do forever for all of eternity. And it's, it's, it's okay to be greedy for God. I want to be on the inner court, man. I don't want to be in the back 40. I spent most of my life on earth in the back 40. I'm shooting for an inner court. And I hope all of you are too. And I think you are. I think that's why I'm able to be here tonight, to, today, to talk to you. So this is not an image we need to have. This is an image that the world has. It really is. They think that God and Satan are some kind of a locked in some kind of battle and they're arm wrestling and, you know, who knows who's going to win. No, we already know who wins. He's sitting there like this going, wait for that last ripple. So you can just go like that. I mean, it's, there's no, it's a done deal, man. 
It's a done deal. So, oh, I had a scripture. I can't read it because I didn't bring my glasses. So, basically, God is promising that he is immutable. He's unchanging. His word stands forever. He means what he says and says what he means. And he's given us everything that we ever need to know, all the history. Everything is already recorded and it's here. And when we need to know it, he's going to let us know it. And I think that's why in these last days he's pulling out the stops. He's letting us know some pretty strange, weird things that are going to come down. And if we're open with an open heart, we're going to hear it, we're going to be prepared, we're going to be ready. Now, there's so many voices, though, out there. And it, is, it can be so confusing sometimes, frustrating, irritating. And I know because I deal with this stuff all the time, all the prophetic things, you know, it does get kind of, oh boy, there goes another one. But there's a balance to it, and I hope that's what we can look at right now. I compare putting a icing on a cake, or making a cake. To make a cake, you have a solid base, which is the cake. And then the icing is put on to make it even a little bit more attractive or better. When we are approaching the Word of God, there is a foundation, and that is God's Word. Anything else that is compatible or goes along with what the Word of God says is icing on the cake. Unfortunately, too many people are trying to make a cake with icing and then dump the cake on top of the icing, and then you get a big old squishy mess. See, the thing is, you can't, you can't grab what a movie says, what the stars say, what Gnostics say, maybe even what the Book of Enoch says, and put it all together and say, see, look at this is what's going to happen, and then use some loosely one scripture and plop it on top of all of that. You got your mess. Everything has to line up with the Word of God. That is the foundation. That's your cake. The icing is anything that might agree with it. And if it doesn't, throw it out. You don't need it. It's, not, it's worthless. That is where some of the people making statements and claims are making their mistake. Now, in the Old Testament times, the prophecy came not by the will of man, but by holy men of God as they were moved and spoke by the Holy Spirit. Now, back in the Old Testament, they didn't have a Holy Spirit in the hearts of individuals verifying and clarifying what the prophet was saying. So the prophet didn't have so much that he was operating on faith. He had an angel standing right in front of him. He had God standing right in front of him, maybe in a bush or in a cloud of heaven or a fiery, you know. I mean, this was like 3D surround sound in your face. I'm telling you what to do. You have no excuses. Go and do it. And if they didn't do it, then what, or they added stuff to it, then what happened? Well, they got killed. And there was a good reason for it. They didn't need the faith. And they were sometimes very demonstrative, maybe walking through the streets naked or sackcloth and ashes. Um, Hosea had to marry a, a harlot woman and, and endure with her for 10 years until she got right. Uh, these were things that prophets had to do to demonstrate the act of God, what God was going to do. We're fortunate we don't have to go to those extremes. We have prophecies that say that there would be a time in the last days, it started at the day of Pentecost, where your sons and daughters shall prophesy. What we do with this gift, it's a free gift given to us, but we have to develop it like muscles, like an athlete working out, and it's done by on-the-job training. Anybody military here? Okay, you understand OJT, and lots of it, and more and more and more, more than you ever want. Well, on-the-job training is how we learn to develop our, our giftings, whether it be prophecy or any other gift. So that means we're going to blow it sometimes. And that's okay. You can make a mistake. We don't have to get stoned. God knows at this time it's his small, still voice that will speak to us. 
And usually in our youth and inexperience, we'll jump the gun and maybe speak out before God is uh, wanting us to. We can maybe speak out to the wrong audience. Maybe we see something that was for us personally and we're sharing with everybody. Or sharing, we're supposed to share something with everybody and we think it's for us. There can be a lot of confusion there. But a lot of it is just infancy. It's learning to develop the gift that you have. So you can make a mistake. The scripture says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor to the glory of the appearing of Jesus Christ. We, are, we have a compassionate God, a loving God, a merciful God. He's going to give us a gift, but he's going to know that we're going to make mistakes. He's going to know that we have to learn by experience. There's not one person with any kind of wisdom that won't confess to you that the reason why they got the wisdom is because they made a lot of mistakes. Sometimes at the cost of others that gave them insight, and sometimes by making the stupid mistakes themselves. I've been a Christian for 41 years. Uh, the prophetic calling in me started probably two or three years after I became a Christian. It's been with me the rest of my life. So I like to think I got a pretty good handle on the prophetic and understanding it. But I can tell you that I've made a lot of stupid, stupid mistakes in my youth. But it's been refined. It's been hammered down. It's been tempered to the point where I have patience to wait upon the Lord for everything. Many times even being like um, um, Gideon with the police. Are you sure, Lord, is this what you really want me to do? Well, if this and that. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's better be safe than sorry. But that comes with maturity. It comes with experience. It comes with making a lot of mistakes. But here's the other big rule. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. This is going to be the biggest warning for the day after the 23rd. I've got a list of all the people that have made these predictions and prophecies. If something doesn't go out, I'm going to get a hold of them. I'm going to admonish them. I'm not going to jump on their case and call them a wolf in sheep's clothing. I'm going to admonish them. Look, you have a responsibility. You said something that didn't happen. You need to eat, go out just as public and ask forgiveness that you made a mistake. God gives you grace and you can go on. Don't backpedal and say, well, it's sort of like this and it was sort of like that, and then skip on to the next non-event that's sensational and you have all your followers following you out like a groupie, like a rock star. That is so disgusting. God, excuse me, God is going to hold us as a church accountable. We need to raise a standard. We need to call you know, accountability those that speak out things that don't happen. Not to call them a false prophet or a wolf in sheep's clothing, but to admonish them, look, get your act together, man. Can you just admit that you made a mistake and apologize? We'll forgive you. Just do that. So God can bless you and enhance your ministry, and you can go forward in it. That's what really needs to be done within the church. Now, here's the biggest promise we have in all of that, and that is that we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That means in all your mistakes, God can make it better, and you can learn by using humility. There's two criteria there, though. It says those that love God. If you love God, you obey God. Um, if you're called according to his purpose, it just simply means you agree with God. There's been times in my life when I know I've been wrong. There's times when I know I, there's things that got to go in my life, and I don't want to let them go. So I have to go to God and go, you know, I'm really in a paradox here. Okay, God, I like where I'm at, and I don't want to let it go. But I know I've got to be over here where you want me to be, and I know I've got to let it go. Can you help me? Can you make me hate this? Can you do whatever you have to do to make me get from here over to there? And you know, I've done that twice in my life where I said, I like the sin that I'm in. I don't want to give it up. But Lord, please help me. I've got to get over here where you want me to be. So two things would happen. He'd give me a vision of what can actually be in store for me. And then the other thing he gives me, events, things that, boy, all of a sudden you pray that, and your life's going to get weird. But you know what? 
That is for your benefit. It's weird so that you can let go and be where you're supposed to be. All we got to do is agree with them. That's easy to do. It really is. Just let go. Now, in our free gift, if it's prophecy, let's say, I'm using this as an example, we are the funnel, the oil going into the motor is the Holy Spirit, what God has given us as a revelation, as an inspiration. It's pure, but that filter is not pure. Uh, well, it can be pure if it's as clean as that looks right now, but what happens if you drop it into the, on the ground? You get dirt, you get grass, bird doo-doo, and a lot of other things you don't even want to think about. It gets all mixed in the thing. You don't wash it off. You go use it and pour the oil in. The oil's pure, but now it's got to go through all this muck. Some of that's going to go into the engine, which is imparting it to others. So you get things kind of mixed up. So the more rightness you are in your own personal relationship with God, the clarity you're going to have in knowing what God is telling you, when to say it, who to say it to, and how to say it. Now, the other important thing, and this is where we go off in two tangents extremes, we have, for the Word of God, two different words in the Greek that, meant, that describe the Word of God. One is logos, which is the written word, this. The other is rima, which is the inspired revelation of God's Word. Now, there's some denominations that say that none of the gifts are here for today, and they totally depend on logos. And they had to become very legalistic um, Pharisees. And I hate to say it, at the time of end, when Satan's plan of mystery of iniquity is coming to fruition, we need everything God has for us. We don't need a limited edition gospel. That's like tying, okay, I'm going to fight the devil with one hand behind my back at a time when he's using everything, and I'm only using half? I kind of think I want everything. Now, that's one extreme. The gifts are still here for today, and we need every gift that God can give us, and we need to move in it in maturity and with power. Now, the other part is the rima. The rima word is the inspired word by the Holy Spirit. Now, the thing is, you've got to have both working in tandem. If you have nothing but the rima, but you don't check here, that means you're getting visions and dreams and supernatural experiences, but you're not taking the time to check where it is, book, chapter, text, and verse in the Bible. You're going to end up being a kind of a mushy... Uh, get off into weirdness. How many here, now nobody knew what I was talking about in the first service. How many here have ever heard of grave sucking? Grave sucking. Yeah. This, okay. Okay, well, we have, you win. We have one person that heard of grave sucking. Grave sucking is especially, there's a movement, and right now I'm having my senior moment on that movement. There is a movement where they're all seeking signs and wonders and getting off into all kinds of crazy stuff, but there's no scriptural foundation for it. One of them is grave-sucking. People, especially the millennials, and I'm not trying to pick on you or anything, but the younger ones, um, not as experienced and brought, being brought up to a church that's already kind of three-quarters fallen away, um, they go to the graves of departed saints who have been used mightily by the Lord through the Holy Spirit. And what they're doing is standing over the grave, praying, and getting the residual of the Holy Spirit into themselves. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's there. Go on the internet. Go on YouTube and put in grave sucking. And you'll see. This is reality. These people are really doing this stuff. They're looking for shortcuts. Study to show yourself approved under God. There's no shortcuts to the Holy Spirit. You do by experience. You do by His power, not by... Just silly weirdness like that. We gotta have both. We gotta have. How did I hit the wrong? Oh, because I got it upside down. 
Okay. We got to have the logos and the rima working in tandem. Then you get balance. And we need balance. We need balance in all of this. You have to have both. When the spirit and the word agree, then you know you're on safe territory. It was a Jewish thing that in the mouth of two or more witnesses, a thing is established. What is our witnesses? The spirit and the word, the rima and the logos. That is our soundness. That is our ability. And I'll tell you, on the internet, we got a two-edged sword here. On the good side, the internet allows every person that many, maybe through a church structure, would be rejected and ignored because maybe they can't articulate themselves, maybe they wear smelly clothes, maybe they're home. I mean, that person can still have a divine revelation from God that is important and needs to be heard. And the internet can allow that to happen. And we can hear some very important vital information by from very rough lumps of coal. But they have a diamond within. And then on the reverse, we've got people who look like diamonds are just offering nothing but lumps of coal. How do we discern the difference? And again, that's where... What I, when I go and I, I look at new stuff, I try to find out who is this person that's telling me um, these things. What do they believe? What is their past history? What trail have they left? That's their fruit. I want to know what their fruit is. And also, what they tell me, I want to hear scripture, chapter, text, and verse, not one just loosely given. I want to see how that fits into something else. That'll be by their testimony of how God showed them this is thus and such. So they're going to tell you not only the word, but they're going to say, this is why you need to know it, and this is how it fits into a bigger picture. And once you get that bigger picture... Then, you, then you've got something that's more solid. You have the Rima and the Logos. That's how you sift through a lot of the stuff on the Internet. I, I'm telling you, I know, and I know some pretty big names that are well-known that are people that are doing a lot of unscrupulous things to get their information and to get it across to you. When you go to a site and somebody's telling you all this doom and gloom stuff is going to happen, but then you get the partial program, but they're going to sell you the rest of it for $5.99? You know, when do you got to pay for God's revelation? Freely you have been given, freely you receive. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not paying for it. I believe God has a better way and it's going to be free. The other thing is that they'll, they'll build you up and cause all this fear and anxiety. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I need this, I need that. And then they take you into their Survivor Mall store and you can buy all the stuff from them. Shouldn't a red flag go off? Now, now even then, I will give, you know, give them a benefit of doubt. Maybe they're trying to provide you with a cheaper outlet to get this stuff so that you will be prepared. More likely, though, it's they're just trying to make an extra buck off you by getting you all hyped up and geeked up. So here's some of the basic things that we have to do ourselves, for ourselves. We study to show ourselves approved, like I said in the other, uh, earlier, 2 Timothy 2.15. That is a drag because it means we've got to be disciplined. We have to take time and invest time into the Word to get back. But that's how we know the mind of Christ. We have to do it, and this is where I've sat at roundtable discussions with PhDs that ought to know better that sometimes, I, honestly, they are so brain dead to the simple things of Christ because they never, they're so assured with their own education that they forgot to go in their Bible study time and allow God to start leading them and their intellect. And I'm, a, I'm afraid to do that. I don't want to start studying this on my own. Sometimes I do. I go, oh, oh, sorry, God, okay. Hey, Lord, please come in here and God... Guide and lead me and show me, and if I'm wrong, let me know that, and if I'm right, confirm it. I want God to be a part of my reading the Bible every time I open up the Word. I want His Spirit guiding me, 
and leading me. That's important. We can't just do the logos. We've got to have the Rima and the logos together. The other thing is in Ephesians. Oh, no, that was, yeah. Um, fellowship. You know, a lot of my ministry in the last 20 years has been people who have been put out of church, laughed at, mocked because of what they believe, Genesis 6 paradigm, the, the Nephilim, and, and all this stuff. And so they're frustrated and they give up on a church. They don't go anywhere. Or they get together with three or four people that are friends and, and have a little study where two or more are gathered. The Bible says the fellowship includes a five-fold ministry of the word. That's your check and balance. It doesn't have to be in a big building like this. It can be in a living room, but those five elements have to be there. Iron sharpens iron. I know some uh, people that profess to be um, of the prophetic nature, watchmen, and uh, they don't go to church anywhere. Now, they're a lone ranger, and guess what happens to lone rangers? They become lone strangers. They get off and start mixing all kinds of other garbage. Why? Because they have no accountability. There's no iron sharpening iron. And the enemy knows that once I've got this guy isolated, good, I can take him to la-la land. And that's what happens. We need to know if that's what we're getting our information from. Research the researchers. That's important. Now, the other thing is to be a doer and not just a hearer. Here's where Satan's got the church really um, sidetracked. I see so many people that are going to seminars, classes. They can't learn enough. They learn more and more and more, and they're overstuffed little oompa-loompas waiting to explode because they're not doing anything with what they know. I, and I compare it like this. You know, you have a desert, you have a tropical rainforest, and you have a, uh, a, a pine cone forest. Each one is a different terrain, and you have to learn certain elements of the terrain in order to get in there because there's people lost in each one of them. So you've got to know a little bit about where they're lost in to maneuver and get to them. But so many times what ends up happening, we get into the, the desert, we go, Oh, this is really cool. Look at this cactus. Hey, and the next thing you know, you break out your microscope and you start inspecting the cellular structure. Hey, dude, there's people lost in this desert. You're not supposed to be tripping out on the desert. Go and get them and bring them back from the pits of hell into what you know. Don't learn this other stuff that's not important. Learn how to reach these people for the gospel. The only reason I know the weirdo stuff that I know is because there's an element of society that needs to know this so that they don't go to hell forever. We each need to find our own niche. God hasn't called all of us to be evangelists, but he's called us all to evangelize. A true mark of an, a grown adult is the ability to reproduce. Each one of us should be able to know how to lead someone to Christ. It doesn't mean it has to happen overnight, but we've got to start searching for our niche. What can I do? Oh, gosh, you know, it might mean that you're going to spend your own money to go to some place to set up a table to proclaim. Or you might do something weird like I did one time. People don't like to go to the movies with me anymore. Uh, I went to see the fourth kind, and the Holy Spirit told me at the end of the movie, stand up and, and, and introduce yourself and go to the opening and offer help. So I, I did. At the end of the movie, I strategically put myself, I had, I had some booklets that I had made on alien abduction, and I told them this stuff is real. I know you might think this sounds funny, but if any of you are in need of help or anything, I've done this for the last 20 years, I'll be standing out in the hall giving you some free literature. Most of the people that filed through were trying to sit there, keep from bursting up laughing. They thought I was the nuttiest person in the world. Five people came up to me and said, I need what you have. It was worth being a fool for Christ. We all have to get to that place. We're in the last days, man. We don't have much time left. Be a fool for Christ, please. Use your own money. Use your own resources. Don't go just every day in this life. We have to start redeeming the time and using that time to be all and do all to reach out to everyone whosoever will. 
So, when we see these things come, if anyone is getting afraid, or if you know people that are afraid of all these things that are happening, this is one promise I want to share with you. It says in Luke 21, 28, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. I like going back to the original language because sometimes it brings out so much more. And in this case, when it says to look up, it literally means to let the wind fill your sails. When you think about it, the wind is the Holy Spirit, the sails is you. You are letting the Holy Spirit fill you and carry you and direct you through whatever we have to go to. That's the promises of God. No weapon formed against me. Oh, Project Bluebeam, that could put thoughts in your mind. So big deal. I already got, you know, I know the voice of my master, and there's my flesh, and then there's the devil. So what's one more? It's just another phony. I can filter through that. It's no big deal. Right? Bluebeam? I don't care about Bluebeam. My Lord is sitting on the throne, and he said, I can hear his voice. That's all I need. It's good enough for me. Now, the other, lift up your heads. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to get emotional like this. Um, that's the best part. It says, look up and know that you're highly esteemed. God so loved you that he came and died for you. Now, if he was willing to do that, how much more powerful can he be to see you through whatever we have to go through? God's will is not going to take you where his grace can't keep you. If you're going to go all the way, you know, and I'm not getting into the pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. I have friends on every camp and every issue. I settle, when I'm in that with them, because it's not a core issue, I say, I'll settle for the pan-trib. God knows and it'll all pan out in the end. But what if we had to go through a lot more than we thought we had to? Is your faith big enough, sustainable enough to see you through everything? I'm for an early out. I'd like it. That'd be cool. But if I've got to go through more, I want my faith to be there so that nothing is going to change. So no matter what happens in the future from this moment on, God is still on the throne. He's still in control. And he is going to guide us through. Now, there's something else that we can do. In Daniel 11.32, it says, But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. That strength is the unsustainable faith that we can all have. Whether anything happens or doesn't happen, we are still on course, on target, because the wind of the Holy Spirit is directing us. We don't have to be affected by any of it. But we can even go a step further. We can exploit it. There are people scared to death out there that know these things and see the things that are happening. Satan isn't necessarily uh, saying, no, we're not in the end time. Although there's a lot of people believing that lie. But a lot of people are seeing this stuff. They're scared. They want answers. They want hope. They want, or they're angry and they're ready to dig bunkers and have 900 rounds of ammo and, and five AK-47s. You have the hope of glory within you. You have the answer. Exploit the situations that are around us. As the world gets more shook up, instead of being shook up yourself, reach your hand out and grab those that are fearful. Reach those that have no hope, because you have all the hope in the world. You don't have to be afraid. So I guess that would be my closing thought. Let's just push forward. You're going to hear a lot of strange, crazy stuff happening that you never thought would happen. But you can adjust. If your eyes are focused on Jesus and Jesus alone, you're going to be all right. Tomorrow's going to take care of itself. So thank you, everybody. And Pastor Amen. Thank you.